It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Sunday night, 10 o'clock, Las Vegas. Welcome on in to Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Tim Unglesby and Angel with you here in Vegas. My co-host, as always, back east, Tom Barton, sports.com, zone Tom Barton. Tommy, it's Halloween weekend, so we have, uh, signifies a lot of things. Kind of changing of the, the weather also kind of runs almost halfway for the NFL season. Yeah, we're just about halfway there. Uh, when, it, when it used to be a nice, clean 16 games, we would be a nice, clean halfway there, but with the 17th game. Yeah, we could say this is kind of the halfway point. And I, I do believe that what we watched today, me and you were texting back and forth all day, uh, is very prevalent to being halfway there. I think that we're starting to see some cracks in the armor of some unbeatable quote-unquote teams. I think that we are definitely seeing these teams sort of settle down into each other. I think in the middle of the season like this, it's very difficult to get a handle on certain teams. And you're not sure, look, Tuesday is the trade deadline. You could sit back and you could say, well, you know what, in the NFL, the trade deadline doesn't necessarily mean that much. You could sit back and you could tell yourself that lie. But the reality is, is that that's not really the truth anymore. Last year, we saw a lot of teams go and make big moves at the trade deadline, right? We've watched quite a few. Last year, Christian McCaffrey, Kadarius Toney, Roquan Smith, TJ Hawkinson, Chase Claypool, Bradley Chubb, Calvin Ridley, Jeff Wilson, Hines, and Moss all were dealt. So you're trying to get to the midway point and figure out who you are, but you got to know in the next... 48 hours because the trade deadline's here as well. And as we go through the games tonight, Tom, there will be some names that pop up that uh, maybe you or I can speak to of will they be changing destinations this week? And I know a lot of teams have said, well, we're going to wait and see how this weekend goes. Well, this weekend's come and gone. Where do you sit now? Teams like Washington, we know that. Tennessee's come out and said Derrick Henry's not going anywhere, and after today's game, maybe that might be the truth. So <clears throat> we'll get into all that tonight as well as talk a little World Series baseball, too, as Game 3 will be tomorrow night from Arizona. That series is tied one game apiece. And um, I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, that what we were, we were talking about earlier today. So I'll read the exact quote to you. And we were talking about the Ravens and how they kind of lackluster – first half, then they, they go in the spurt and they turn it on, and then again at the end, they almost let uh, Phoenix come right back into the game. I brought up the Chiefs, who ended up losing that game in Denver today after 16 straight wins against the Chief, uh, the Broncos. We could bring up Buffalo's poor performance Thursday night against Tampa Bay and their win. How about the 49ers, right, Tommy? They've lost three in a row. Philadelphia squeezes by the, the, the uh, Commanders. All these top teams in the league... And what what did, what did you say? You said, I'm not buying the league has caught up to them as much as maybe they have fallen back. Right, Tom? 
Yeah, that's what I really do believe. Look, there's always going to be points in the season where those elite teams just don't look exactly elite, right? There's going to be a point where you can see them kind of come back to the back, go back to the 85 Bears. Look, they had a loss. Uh, you know, this happens, right? The greatest teams in history, they kind of take a step back. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about playing down to your competition, playing a competition that you are clearly better than, and suddenly your team has holes. Your team looks vulnerable. Your team looks downright bad at times. And that's generally everybody, like we said, Buffalo, Kansas City, the Ravens. Yeah, we can go through just about everybody, San Francisco for sure, even Philadelphia. So there's no unbeatable team. There's no team that's kind of at the top of the mountain. That's understandable. But it's it's not a case, and the NFL will try to tell you that. That's a case, well, you know what, it's just because we're all we're a good league and there's so many good teams. No, 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 no. That's not what it is. It's not these lower teams lifting themselves up. Arizona today, at the end of that game, for the last three minutes of that game, they didn't suddenly become a good team. Right? Arizona's the Cardinals weren't suddenly this wow, unstoppable team. No, it was Baltimore kept their eyes off the ball, took their eyes off the ball. They looked away. They started talking about next week. And suddenly it was a touchdown. It was a two-point conversion try. It was an onside kick. It was another opportunity. I mean, that's what we watched. We watched Kansas City think, well, 16 games in a row. It doesn't matter that Patrick Mahomes is a little under the weather. It doesn't matter that there was snow on the ground. None of that matters. We're going to go out there. We're going to roll the ball out, and we're going to win. And you saw what happened. So we have watched these teams. This is not the quality of the NFL. It's just so good that anybody can beat anybody any day. No, no, no. This is we are watching elite teams overlook bad teams, which in a long season it happens. And the longer the NFL season continues to get, the more we're going to get these, well, you know what, it's just one game kind of situations. Let's dive right in, Tom. A super Sunday night overreaction Sunday as we will say we're right at the what is it now? 17, 17 games, so 18 weeks, right, Tom? Yes. So technically well, there's another week to go, but like you said, with the trade deadline pending this this upcoming uh, week, it's, it changes things dramatically. So let's look at what we saw last, which was if you watched NBC tonight, you saw the San Diego-Los Angeles Chargers put the beat down on Tommy's Chicago Bears, 30-13 to the final. Uh, this one was over in the first quarter. We knew that. And we'll talk more so on the Chargers end of it here. They get their win. They go to three and four. A loss, Tom, probably would have put them in the the seller mode. What do you do at three and four with the Chargers? You know, look, the Chargers have legitimate reasons to be concerned. But they also have legitimate reasons to be optimistic. (coughs) Excuse me. The Chargers are that team, Tim, that you look at and you go, look, they have had absolute real injuries here. Derwin James, you could argue, is the best defensive player, has been out, right? Bosa has missed time. We absolutely know Austin Eckler has missed time. We look around that lineup, and and a lot of key contributors missed some time. But with that, it also comes, yeah, but some of those guys aren't coming back, right? I mean, Gerald Everett might come back, but we watched tonight Joshua Palmer get injured. We watched that, listen, Joshua Palmer was the second string guy. Suddenly he's trying to be a number two. Now he might be down. 
Now you're going to have to rely upon other guys. It's kind of the snake-bitten thing with this Los Angeles-San Diego team, and I mentioned every preseason. They need everything to fall exactly right for them to compete. That's a problem. That's because they're poorly coached. Justin Herbert looks good. He's banged up. So, yeah, I'm looking at this team and I'm going, can you make a run? Can they turn around and they go on some sort of run here and maybe make the playoffs? Sure. I can see that. But, you know, you listen to the broadcast tonight and they were gushing over how could they suddenly look good all night long. Well, this is the offense we thought we'd see. How can they suddenly look good? Well, you were facing the Bears, right? I mean, you were, you were facing a very bad team. The Chargers still cannot run the ball, Tim. The Chargers still cannot find really a second and third option outside of Eckler and Allen. It's just reality. And Justin Herbert, for all the good that he does, he doesn't look 100% out there. I'm still in the camp that I think that the Chargers probably missed the playoffs. Herbert, three touchdown passes tonight. Uh, Like you said, against a bad Bears team, they could only muster 54 yards on the ground. And when... <laughs> Excuse me. When Austin Eckler is your leading receiver in yardage, I mean, obviously there's, there's issues. I, I agree. I think the finger still bothers Herbert, and it will for a minute. Um, the Mike Williams injury is it's bigger than what people had thought. And and when you look at the Chargers, right, Tommy? And here we go again. If you were in the camp of Brandon Saley needs to be fired, this win probably delayed that for sure. Because I see a path here in the next, I guess, six games that realistically the Chargers can win four of those and it changes the season at that point dramatically. My, my thing, Tom, is when you look at the record at three and four, you have a two-point loss to the Dolphins in the opening week, you have a field goal loss against the Titans, and you have a field goal loss against the Cowboys. All three of those games, Tommy, they could have won. I blame those on the coach, and, you know, we're talking dramatically different record, but you said it, the injuries will loom larger later in the season. Yeah, consistent one-score losses, Tim. Yeah. Uh, that's going to come back to the coach. It just has to. <clears throat> you are consistently losing one-score one games. That is coaching. If you're consistently winning one-score games, hey, that's coaching too. And I think that the Chargers, while we can sit back and talk, and we often talk as a fan base as opposed to reality, right? As a fan base, we look at the Chargers and we say, hey, Look at what they have. Look what they have working. Austin Eckler led the NFL in scoring two years in a row. Touchdowns. Herbert is all everything. They have defensive pieces, Ben. And this team could go far. Meanwhile, I think their management is saying, ah, you know what, you get to the playoffs and let's see what Herbert has. I don't know if their upper management, their ownership, which I've spoken about pretty outlandishly here for a while, but it, they've never not proven me right. I don't know if their ownership is as thirsty thirsty for a winner as their fans are, right? And and that rarely is the case. To me, they are very, very content with making the playoffs, letting uh, Justin Herbert kind of shine, and maybe he gets a win in the playoffs. But if not, no big deal. We made the playoffs, and it's a good year. Tom, real quick on your Bears. We've had the the social media jokes and the, and the memes and the gifts of Mr. Tyson Badgett. Um, look, Fields dislocated thumb. He's missed the last two games. Uh, I guess we'll see where he goes for next week. But if you're the Bears at two and six, 
where do you sit as far as um, you're not obviously you're not buying, but are you selling? And what's the future here? Is is Field still the guy, or are you going for uh, tank for whoever you want to call that number one pick? You knew you're going to have two, two picks this year, right? So, what do you do if you're Chicago at this point? Well, here's the thing: I think that we can adamantly say the Bears shouldn't tank for whoever that might be, because Justin Fields has proven that he can win games, and, and Badgett looks good. So there's an opportunity there. The Bears are also a team that can, hey, you know what? If this goes sideways, instead of spending my draft capital, go out there and go get a Kirk Cousins, for example, right? Go out there and get somebody, a veteran. The Bears are not made right now to be one player away from anything, okay? Even if it is a quarterback. It doesn't matter. Now, I keep hearing the term generational talent. The problem is... I hear generational talent like every year, okay? You can't have generational talent and be there every year. I'm, I'm looking at this pick, if they do get the number one pick, and I'm saying, why would you not trade out to somebody that does need a quarterback salivating in that way, that absolutely must go get a, a guy like that and go pay through the nose? If the Bears are not sure if Justin Fields is the guy or not, why not give him another year? I'm sure if the Chicago Bears hung the number one overall pick out there, I am sure they could get another number one next year, probably two number ones next year, or another one next year and the year after that. I mean, they will get some kind of ridiculous, insane package back. You could still walk away with an offensive lineman. You could still walk away with a Marvin Harrison Jr. And then you see if Fields is the guy. Mm-hmm. If he's not the guy, you're going to have plenty of draft capital to go and find out. Now, you, you hear the term, well, you don't want to miss out on the next Mahomes. You don't want to miss out on the next generational talent. Tim, I don't buy it. I've watched Caleb Williams. I don't know if he's even the number one guy. I think I'm taking Drake May over him. Yeah, I said it. I don't like the attitude. I don't like what I've watched on the field. I certainly don't want to like what I see off the field. The guy wants to have part ownership. I mean, it's just a situation where if the Chicago Bears... We're starting Mitch Trubinsky or Tyler Badgett. Yeah, I go, oh, look, do whatever you can. Go get the number one overall guy. Go get Caleb Williams, and that's that. But we're in a world where Justin Fields was selected in the first round. Justin Fields has looked good in spurts without any weapons around him. You get G.J. Moore. You get Harrison. You get a competent offensive line. Go spend money on the offensive line. All of a sudden, this team can be very good, Tim without going to get that number one guy. So I understand Chicago is torn. Half the city wants Justin Fields. Half the city wants Caleb Williams. I get that. I'm sitting here going, either way, they're not one player away. They are multiple players, and let's be honest, multiple seasons away from really, truly competing. So if you're not sure, why not stick with what you have? So the Bears have... Two first-rounders, correct, Tom? And they could be at the top of the – both could be top picks. I mean, top, I'm talking top five, right? Yeah, the Bears own the uh, Carolina Panthers pick. Yeah. So coming into today, I think the Bears would be picking first and fourth or first and third. Uh, you know, so they're going to they're gonna have two top five picks, which means, let's be honest, they're looking at whatever they want. Yeah. right? I mean, they are going to go get – if they want Caleb Williams – 
first of all, they'll probably have the number one overall pick. Secondly, they may be able to have uh, what it takes to move up to go get that guy if they traded the two first rounders for. If they want Caleb Williams, the Bears could go get him, is the answer. If they want Drake May, the Bears could go get him, is the answer. Uh, the question has to be, do you want them? Not a Bears fan here, but I like Josh Fields. I've followed him since his high school career. I think he possesses, and we've seen that, especially when they let him loose at the end of last year, right, Tom? He possesses abilities that make it hard for defenses to key in on, on, on offense. And I say you keep him. Hopefully you get those two picks that, you know, they end up being in top five, and you can go out and get a Fashan out of Penn State or a Harrison Jr., like you said, or even a Keon Coleman, who I know your household has been watching him light the scoreboard up this year. There's plenty of things you can do without having to bring in what I agree with could be a potential, uh, for sure, a distraction, but a potential bust in Caleb Williams. Yeah, and even if he's good, here's the thing. And you have to ask, when you talk about generational talent or who this guy is, how good does he have to be? for you to jettison Fields and then go and spend that draft pick. So you're passing on Fields and someone else, right? Fields and an offensive lineman. Fields and, uh, like you said, a top wide receiver. Fields and something. What does that package look like? So then you go through the NFL. Go through the quarterbacks in the NFL, Tim, and you go, how many quarterbacks in the NFL would you trade Fields and let's say the number one overall pick for how many quarterbacks? Not many, right? I mean, you have Allen, Mahomes, Lawrence, Lamar, Burrow, you know, maybe Hertz. You're, you're talking six, seven guys. Right, Herbert, okay? Right. Less than 10 guys in the NFL would you make that deal for? So you're going to do it for a college guy? Let's move to San Francisco, where the Niners all of a sudden have hit a roadblock, a massive roadblock here. Brock Purdy did play in this game, 365 yards, two interceptions. But it, the story of this was the Bengal offense in the first and fourth. As they win at 31-17 on the road, they're 4-3 and three now. Joe Burrow, Tom, three touchdown passes today. Jamar Chase, 10-100 and a touch. They they bookended this game by being able to have long sustained drives, and this dominant San Francisco team through six weeks of the season, not so dominant anymore. No, here's one of the teams that we were talking about, right? San Francisco looks downright beatable. They can still run the ball, Christian McCaffrey, but the loss of Debo Samuel is really showing up. And I'm, this is not a making excuses. You can watch it in the offense, though, right? I mean, you could just see that this San Francisco team that looked like they are world beaters suddenly have come back to earth. Brock Purdy doesn't look like himself. Debo Samuel is out of the lineup. And they don't have just stars all over the field suddenly. And now they come back to the pack. San Francisco is going to be fine. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're still going to be just perfectly okay. Because the schedule brings in, after the Jacksonville Jaguars, you got Bucks, Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks. I know there's a tough team, but they'll get wins there. Then you have the Cardinals, Ravens at home, Commanders, Rams. They'll win, you know. I mean, look, San Francisco, they're going to fall into 11 wins, right? I mean, they're just going to be fine. They may not win the division, though, and they may not go deep into the playoffs. Suddenly, San Francisco looks that vulnerable. They look that beatable 
because they don't have everybody available. And we've watched this with San Fran. George Kittle is consistently hurt. Christian McCaffrey's consistently hurt. They've both been healthy this year. What happens if one of those guys go down? As it's situated now, I took the Bengals today. Okay? I only had three plays on the board. I took the Bengals in one of my plays today. I think San Francisco just caught Cincinnati as at a perfect time. Joe Burrow coming off of a bye week. Joe Burrow looking healthy again. I thought they caught him at a perfect time. But while we sit back and we mention, like I just did, Christian McCaffrey, and we mentioned Debo Samuel, and we mentioned the offense, the defense gave up 31 today, Tim. 31 yeah. points. That is concerning because, by and large, the defense is healthy. So here we go, Tom. We were talking about teams that uh, you said stuck in the mud. Uh, that was the reference you made. How about just playing down, like you, again, something you said earlier in the show, playing down to the caliber of their competition, just kind of going through the motions and squeezing by, making games closer than they should be. That describes the Buffalo Bills as well. Uh, survived a Thursday night game where, where actually Tampa was very close to, to winning that one on the, on the last Hail Mary, but they get it done. So what happens next Sunday? Probably the game of the week, Buffalo at Cincinnati. The Bengals a two-point favorite. I think it's a great game. I just think it's going to be an absolute great, great game. This is one of those uh, I-wouldn't-touch-it-with-your-money type of games because I'm not sure who these teams are. I have told you before the year began, I didn't think Cincinnati was going to be a playoff team this year. I thought that the injuries were going to get to them. I thought the inconsistent play, the fact that Joe Mixon was a different player. But they're at home. They look good. They look healthy suddenly. And the Bills just don't look right. Tredavious White went down. That's a big loss. Matt Milano went down. That's a big loss. Dawson Knox went down. That's a big loss. I mean, we're not talking about secondary pieces here, guys. You could argue that Tredavious White and Matt Milano were their two best defensive players. I don't think you're going to get a lot of pushback on that. So suddenly you have the Bengals who are getting healthy, the Bengals who are on fire at home prime time against a a Bills team that comes in reeling a little bit. Bills team still trying to look for answers defensively. I think Cincinnati is only going to get better for the next couple of weeks here. And look, as much as I like the Bills, I still think the Bills can win the Super Bowl. They were my preseason Super Bowl pick. I think that Cincinnati's the play. Baltimore in Phoenix take on the Cardinals. They win at 31-24. The Ravens now 6-2. Four of those wins on the road. And this one for me, Tom, as you know, I watched every second of this game. You saw the Cardinals come out, opening drive. They go down the field. 75 yards, eat up like seven minutes of the clock. They get a touchdown to go up 7 nothing. And I think a lot of people, as we call this overreaction Sunday, they remember what they saw last, which was that offense just destroy the Detroit Lions last week. Was there going to be a a, uh, a little comeback to reality this week? I, I thought so as well. And, and look, the Cardinal defense, it is what it is, but they've played, you know, this, like you said, they're a team that doesn't quit, and they, they stay in games for some reason. And, and a lot of times we think it's because teams take them for granted. And I'm not sure if the Ravens just didn't necessarily – it wasn't that they took them for granted, but they, they really didn't get the moving. They were able to get a touchdown back going the other way. And I never felt, Tom, that the Ravens were in trouble of losing this football game, not even at the end, but it was just very lackluster. I did notice they ran the ball a lot more in the second half. Gus Edwards with three three scores on the ground. Andrews and Lamar hooked up. 
and they get a seven point win, but really they were winning like sixteen going mid what, midway into the fourth, and then the defense just went prevent style. So it's uh, for me. I guess we could play the tape back a few weeks ago. It's it's a win's a win, right, Tom? They weren't impressive doing it, but they still beat a team they had to beat. It just it makes me worry about late in the season or in the playoffs that you cannot just play half assed every week. You have to, you know, get, I I just don't know what to say. This week is the offense struggle. The defense was very good. They're just very wishy washy, and, and I I don't like that. I know they got nine weeks to make figure it out, but I just to me it's weird to watch them sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I asked you, like, what is going on with your team? It's not even uh, – you often have look-ahead spots or spots where teams kind of take their eye off the ball during the season. You have those games. I get it. Your team, the Baltimore Ravens, has that – they have that during a, a, a game, right? I mean, they came out of the gate looking ahead. They came out of the gate like, well, this is the Cardinals, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But when they concentrated, they moved right down the field. They concentrated, the defense shut them down. At the end of the game, they said, okay, we won this game, no problem, and let their guard down and, and nearly blew that game. This is a focus problem. We've seen it happen with Baltimore a few times. I don't know if I'm blaming Harbaugh here. If I'm blaming Jackson, I, I'm not sure who to blame. But it's been a continuously, I mean, uh, seemingly every year, I ask you for head-scratching moments with Baltimore. Why are they playing down to their opponent? And they consistently play down to their opponent and down to their opponent during the game itself. They should be, they realistically, Tom, and I know you can say this for a lot of the group of teams we've talked about, they should be 8-0. They, they blew the Pittsburgh game in the fourth quarter, and they blew the Indianapolis game in the fourth quarter. That legitimately should be 8-0 and right now. Uh, there's no way around saying that other than they blew the game, and that's, like you said, they I don't know what happens. Sometimes it's just the offense looks so good, like going up and down, and then it just, for whatever reason, it just stops. And uh, it's got to get figured out, right, Tom? I mean, I mean, thankfully they're winning still, but it's got to get figured out. And I guess we'll move into the next game because it'll lead into what we're going to talk about next. Seattle, Geno Smith to Jigma with uh, 38 seconds to go. They get a home victory over the Browns, 24-20. So the Hawks now five and two, first place in the NFC West. You know, how, what did you think about this game? Because I, I, I'm asking you because I want to piggyback off of this. Well, I want to go back to what we were talking about in the preseason. Give me your thoughts on Seattle. Seattle, uh, I think we agree that they're just a dangerous, sneaky team, and that nobody's taking. Uh, they're not again. I don't think they're the level of. The Cardinals taking for granted, but because they're definitely better than the Cardinals. But I think the teams just kind of look at Seattle as it's not the same Seattle, and they're right; it's not the same Seattle. It's a better Seattle. They can run the ball. They definitely can throw the ball. Smith is not a, a was not a one year flash in the pan. He's he's backing it up again, and and they they ate up Cleveland today. But yet I think you see where the the uh, hierarchy stands in the NFC. I like Seattle a lot. I like them making the playoffs. I don't like them winning the conference, but I think they're a dangerous team when you don't expect them to, to uh, when you walk into Seattle, that number one, that's a disadvantage. But number two, if you think that you're going to go in there and just roll these guys, it's not happening. I mean, they're, they're a good team. They're all around. They got a good offense. I think that they're a Super Bowl caliber team. 
I, I said that before the year began, and I got quite a quite a bit of pushback. And I think people thought I was saying it just to kind of get a reaction. But I think it leads to the NFC being weak. I had Seattle winning this division, guys, not San Francisco. I thought San Francisco was going to struggle with injuries. <laughs> I had Seattle winning this. And this isn't to pat myself on the back. It's to tell you that it, it's been there. Seattle's offensive line last year graded out in the top 10 overall. Okay? They really did big-time th- things. They have Walker and Charbonnet. You know they can run the ball. Can they throw the ball? Well, Geno Smith has at his disposal Metcalf, Lockett, and they went out and they got a number one draft pick uh, in Smith, uh, Jackson Smith, right? So we know that they can throw the ball. We know they can run the ball. They have a good offensive line. They have a veteran quarterback. Let's talk about defense. They went out there and got Bobby Wagner back. Bobby Wagner still playing at the top of the, top of his game. You ask anybody that knows anything about football, is Bobby Wagner one of the top 10 best linebackers in the game right now? They're going to say yes. So you had that. What were what was the question? What was the question? Could they defend the pass? They didn't do that well last year. Well, Woolen is good. He's a shutdown guy on one side. They went out and they got Witherspoon. You have to watch how a team starts to grow up. The only thing that's missing for Seattle right now is a good pass rusher. If they had a pass rusher, I would be telling you that I'm going out and I'm going to make a, a bid on Seattle to win the Super Bowl. I think that they are that close. I know that Geno Smith doesn't instill confidence into people. I get it. And Seattle, maybe because they're on the West Coast and they're all the way up in the Pacific Northwest, no one's paying attention. Tim, I am here to sing the praises of Seattle. I think they are a very, very dangerous team. I thought that before the preseason. And you start to look at what they have in front of them. All right. The Ravens are a tough game next week. After that, Washington, Rams, Niners at home. Cowboys will be tough. And the Niners are, are tough. Eagles. Then Titans, Steelers, Cardinals to finish it off. I think they get three wins to finish it off. I think they split with the Niners. That's four. I'll give them a Commanders. That's five. Probably a Rams or Ravens. That's six. You're talking about getting into that 11, 12, 13 win category. I'll say it again. Seattle can win this division. Seattle can be the NFC representative. On an overreaction standpoint, if you don't, if you're not watching the games and you're not uh, following along, you're kind of just box scoring and reading. You see that Baltimore barely beat the Cardinals, right? Even though we just talked about how they thoroughly beat them, the score reflects differently. And then you see Seattle beat Cleveland at home, not knowing that it took a touchdown with 30 seconds to go to win this game. After they were up 17-7 after the first, and then didn't score again until the very end of the game. So. What do you look at this line? It's five and a half, Tommy, at Baltimore. Hawks at Baltimore. Baltimore, five and a half. I'm shocked that the line is so high. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am. I thought, look, I think it's a three-point game. One way or the other, I I would have told you that before these games were played. I don't, I don't even care. I didn't need to watch these games. And I know what, what is going out on the field. I know the product that's going out on the field. I'm shocked. Now, I think that there is something to the idea of West Coast going to the East Coast, playing on the, on the 1 o'clock game. I do think that there's something to the idea that on the East Coast next weekend, it's supposed to be very wet. It's supposed to be nasty. But I think that helps the Seahawks this year. You know, Man. Pete Carroll knows what he's doing going West to East. 
But I, I do look at the Ravens and I say, I'm waiting for them to break out and have that just amazing kind of situation, right? Um, I, I, I don't know if you could count on that, though. And like you said, yeah, I think people are going to jump on this, and I, I get it. Oh, but come on. You, you start to break this down and you go, why is this five and a half? Why is it five and a half, Tim? I mean, this is your team. You can't feel comfortable with that. I kind of actually, I kind of like it, Tom. I, I I do. I think it's a line that's funny to me. It's a funny line. You're right. If it was if it was Ravens minus three, three and a half, sit there and you'd be kind of like, okay, I, I I definitely can see that home field. The teams are kind of equal, uh, but it but it sets two points higher. So in my mind, I'm like. Do the books think something differently too, Tom? So it's kind of playing with me right now when I look at it. And I actually kind of like Baltimore, but it's they're a tough team to bet on, you know, because of things that happened today. Today was a point spread win for the Ravens until that idiotic onside kick that they screwed up. That, 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 I mean, I never saw a backdoor get backdoored again because if you remember when they scored, they missed a two-point conversion. So it was a 10-point lead. They gave up the onside. Phoenix kicks the field goal. They they don't cover the, the spread now, so it's hard to bet on them. But I, I'm kind of going the other way on, on you on this one. I, I like the five and a half rather than a three or three and a half. Can I give you a stat to give you a little fear for next weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Pete Carroll going west coast to east coast has covered 15 of his last 18 games. <laughs> That's pretty impressive, actually. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. I'll give you a non-covering stat. How about that? Not, this is just straight up. Kansas City Chiefs have beaten the Denver Broncos, Tom, 16 straight times until today. <laughs> 24-9, Denver wins it at home. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I have Patrick Mahomes, Tommy, in a, in a fantasy league somewhere, separate from what we do. He's my quarterback. Five points today from Patrick Mahomes is lackluster performance by this team. In fact, they got goose-egged in the second half. Uh, I don't know whether to think like to myself that I, I'm afraid for who Kansas City gets next week in this next game, or am I just like, again, what we've been talking about, the theme of this show is that they, these teams really just play down to their level. I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you beat a team 16 times in a row, and they're at home, and it's a snow game, and your quarterback has the flu, you're going to have reasons to kind of step up. But I'm asking you, Tim, because everybody loves Kansas City, right? I'm going to ask you, where's their impressive win? Came out, they lost to the Lions. Everyone said, well, there's no Travis Kelsey. Week two, they beat the Jaguars. A Jaguars team that that is a very good team, not taking anything away from them, but they beat them 17-9. to They beat them 17-9 to in a game where I talked to you uh, about this. If you watch this game, Trevor Lawrence threw about five touchdowns to the back of the end zone. Guys just couldn't keep their feet in. Okay? If that's their impressive win, that's on week two. Then they beat the Bears, potentially the worst team in the league. They beat the Jets with Zach Wilson, barely. They beat the Vikings without Justin Jefferson now, without Kirk Cousins now. I get it. Still, it's the Vikings, barely. They beat the Broncos 19-8, barely. They beat the Chargers at home, and now they lose to the Broncos. I think that the Chiefs are smoking mirrors. 
The Chiefs barely beat a Jets team, barely beat a Vikings team, barely beat a Broncos team. That I'm not impressed with any of that stuff. They barely beat a Jaguars team. I'm not impressed with any of them. Even the way that Trevor Lawrence is playing this year is not exceptionally good. The Chiefs were relying on defense. Then they put their best defensive player, Nick Bolton. You could argue Chris Jones, but Nick Bolton on IR. They were running the ball well. It's not like Patrick Mahomes all of a sudden looks great. Patrick Mahomes actually has worse numbers this year than Russell Wilson. Now they have the Dolphins. They have a bye week to get things right. Eagles. They go for Raiders, Packers, Bills, Patriots, Raiders, Bengals, Chargers. Chiefs to make it a playoff, sure. But I'm not sure that they are what we think that they are. They're not this all-great team. They're 6-2. and two. They're 6-2 and two by beating up on the Bears, the Broncos, the Vikings, and the Jets. And that's what they are. And they're really a, about two plays away from being a 500 team. I think it just came crashing down. Everything just worked right today for this team to go under. Can't run the ball effectively. We've seen that in years past. Other than Kelsey, nobody has stepped up to be the second receiver or target for Mahomes. One week it's Rice. Maybe it's Watson. Is it Valdez? Gray. They bring uh, Hardman back, right? That, that was the big talk last week. They bring him back, put him on special teams. He added a spark of um, momentum to energy. So this week he gets two targets. He might. Uh, it's almost as many as he had with the Jets. It's you know that's the thing. Who's going to be that guy to step up, Tom? And they have nine weeks to figure it out. Look, I thought that Pacheco was not used correctly tonight. That's number one. I also watched so many guys drop passes. The Chiefs dropped two easy touchdowns tonight. The Chiefs uh, dropped two really, really, really big, big downfield, you know, 25-yard-plus passes. But like you said, there's nobody there. I thought Rasheed Rice was going to be the guy. And I don't think that they trust him. So I know we haven't talked about the game yet, but you have to start looking at the Chiefs and saying, are they in on DeAndre Hopkins? Because I think he does change their, their look of their team. Tommy Barton, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports. We're going to take our first time out. Mr. Angel, when we come back, of course, more week eight of the NFL as we will look at the morning matchups, break those down for you. How about the Tennessee Titans? They turn a, cor- a corner today with a new quarterback. We'll get Tom's thoughts on that in a few short ones. It's Heat Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heat Wave Sports with Tim Oglesby and Tom Barton. Quick segment to wrap up our number one here on Heat Wave Sports. Every weekend, 10 p.m. to midnight, except for the last few Saturdays, as those darn Golden Knights keep winning and bumping Tommy and I off the air, including next Saturday, as we are again bumped for VGK Hockey, but we'll be back on the Sunday night edition to break it all down for you in week nine of the National Hockey League and maybe a World Series champion. We'll talk baseball in hour number two. So let's dive back into it. Tom, you made a point in segment number one about the Seattle Seahawks being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. And I think when you looked at the teams in the AFC, Bills, Chiefs, Ravens, you put out the Miami Dolphins as well. Abby Barton's Miami Dolphins now 6-2. and two. 
31-17 win over the Patriots today. So how about these stats, Tom? Miami now 16-2 and in their last 18 home games. Tua 6-0 and in his career against the hoodie Bill Belichick as he went for 324, three touchdowns today in the win. And they are a game up over the Bills there in the AFC East. When you look at the Dolphins, do you see a, could you see a Dolphins-Seahawks Super Bowl? I can. I absolutely can. And I told you, if Tua stayed healthy, I think that this Dolphins team is a Super Bowl contender. And I know that they had defensive problems, okay? But we watched the key ingredient come back. And I talked about this last week. Um, Xavier, uh, uh, you look at Xavier Howard as a guy that, yes, he's on the back end of his career, but he's coming back and Jalen Ramsey's back. That's a difference maker right there. I still think that Miami's a defensive player away from us to really, really taking this serious. But if Tua stays upright, yeah, this is what he can do. Bill Belichick clearly can't defend against left-handed quarterbacks. I mean, that's the only reason here that I think that we can say that. But um, the Patriots were in this game for some of this game. It's just that Miami just keeps coming and coming. Who do you cover? You start to cover Hill, you got Waddle. You got Waddle, you got Hill. You start to cover both of them, you go to Mostert. You go to the running game. Oh, Mostert's banged up. Uh, Devin Chan is going to keep coming back. Jeff Wilson's there. I mean, this team offensively just can't be stopped. So it's how much can they do defensively? Bradley Chubb has not worked out to be what we thought he was going to be. Uh, Baker in the middle is a solid player. Holland is good, and he needed some help. When Howard is healthy and he's the number two corner next to a guy like Jalen Ramsey and what Ramsey could be, that's enough for them to say, okay, our defense won't hurt us. But for the defense to start helping them, they need one more player. They need somebody up front to help Christian Wilkins with the pass rush. I know Washington's starting to get the conversation that maybe they're selling with Sweat and Young out there. If I'm Miami, I'm on the phone right away. the Patriots, is this where you kind of trade off or sell off the pieces, Tom, and do what Belichick does, acquire picks, somehow acquire another first-rounder here? Is there anybody, I don't know if there's anybody worthy of a first-round pick here, but you have to think that they're at seller mode now? I would think so. Look, I thought that they should have went into seller mode the minute they lost their number one and number two best defensive players. For a defensive-laden team, This is honestly, I know that people don't realize this, especially in the betting world and the fantasy world where everything revolves around offense. The Patriots losing Judon and Christian Gonzalez while, oh, by the way, J.C. Jackson wasn't on the team yet, right? They traded for him, and and Jones was still not playing. What happened with the Patriots, that was the equivalent of losing Mahomes and, and, and Otto. Mahomes and Otto, right? Mahomes and Kelsey. That's really what it was. They lost two dynamic, dynamic players from their defense. That was sell mode. But they go out, they got get J.C. Jackson, they bring him back, Jones comes back, and he had a glimmer of hope. The problem is that the Patriots are just not going to beat good teams. Can they beat Washington next week at home? Yes, they can. Can they beat the Colts the week after that at home? Yeah, absolutely. Can they beat the Giants after the bye week? Yes, they can. Tim, that's three wins in a row. And now you're starting to have a conversation why Belichick talks you out of trading down, out of trading key players, because that's three wins in a row. You have the Chargers at home. Weirdly, that's a winnable game. Steelers, 
winnable game. We don't even know Pickett's going to be in there. Then you get the Chiefs at home, Broncos, winnable game at the Bills and the Jets at home. I still look at this this Patriots team. I know they got a million faults. I know they have a million problems. I get it. But if I'm looking at this Patriots th- team through, you know, like Boston, Cambridge colored sunglasses, I'm thinking they could beat Washington. That's three wins. The Colts, that's four wins. The Giants, that's five wins. I think they take down the Jets at home. That's six. They could go to Denver and win that. That's seven. Can they beat the Chargers and Steelers? Maybe eight, nine. I mean, this is why it's difficult for them to sell. They have to make the decision eventually. My problem is looking at the schedule, Bill's going to look there and he's still going to say, I think we have a chance for nine wins. I think we got a chance for the playoffs. Tom, next week we get the wake up early again, the 630 game. This one will be in Germany, though. Dolphins, Chiefs, the Chiefs are the designated home team in the game, and they are a two and a half point favorite across the ocean. I think everyone's going to expect a complete bounce back here by Patrick Mahomes. I think everyone's going to give the narrative all week that he was very sick. He hurt his hand. He's got all kinds of problems. I mean, they're going to give you that narrative all week long. That's what you're going to hear. That's all you're going to hear about is how the Chiefs are going to bounce back. I think Miami's been waiting for this game just as much. I think Miami wants to prove to the world that, no, we belong. And Miami came out of the gates, and they are 6-2, and two, which is great. They came out of the gates, and they put up 70. Well, that's wonderful. They, they had one true test this year, and maybe even two if you want to say the Eagles. Eagles on prime time was a true test. The other true test was Buffalo, and they failed miserably in both of those games, Tim. Both of those games, they didn't score over 20 points. Beating up on the Giants, the Panthers, the Broncos, and the Patriots, that's not impressing anybody. So you're 6-2, and two, but it's a fraudulent 6-2. and two. Go out there and do it against the Chiefs and outscore them. Now we can have a conversation. I think the Giants, the, the Dolphins, I'm sorry, have been looking forward to this as much, if not more, than the Chiefs. They almost need this win as much or more than the Chiefs. The problem with the Dolphins is that in the two premier games that we watched them go up against a team that could have proven something to us they didn't even score over 20 hottest team in football and you obviously you go by by winning streaks right so jets three in a row ravens three in a row Bengals three in a row how about the, the vikings have won three in a row but the hottest team in football is your jacksonville jaguars tommy now five wins in a row six and two they lead the AFC South by two and a half games. As you said it, they were in Pittsburgh today. They took out Kenny Pickett. 20-10 to 10 win. They get an ugly win, but they get the win. And they are officially the hottest team in football right now. Yeah, they are. And I like what they're doing. Trevor Lawrence is not playing his elite level. Uh, Calvin Ridley has some problems. But they're multifaceted. You know, it, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have a good game. We're going to leave on Travis Etienne. Well, Etienne isn't running well. No problem. Go to Christian Kirk. Oh, well, well, not him. Okay, Evan Ingram. Oh, it's not his game. It's Zay Jones. Oh, we're going to go back to Calvin Ridley. Oh, we got to win this with defense. Choi. Uh, sure. Foy is the best linebacker in football right now. Okay, how about that? Oh, well, wait a minute. Devin Lloyd's coming up? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a really high draft pick. I mean, they are going level by level by level where they can win in a million different ways. 
I think the reason why they're still getting overlooked, besides just their name being Jacksonville, we know what that means. I think one of the reasons they're being overlooked here, Tim, one of the major reasons, is because they don't do anything exceptionally well. They do everything really good. Nothing great. They don't have a top three defense where it's going to shut you down and going to make you turn heads. No, they don't have that. They don't have a complete total, uh, like the Tennessee Titans, you cannot run on them. No, 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 they don't have that. They don't have that shutdown corner. No, you can't throw on this guy. No, no, they don't have that. But their defense as a whole is very good. Same thing with their offense. They don't have a, a quarterback that you can go, he's going to be in the MVP race. No, Lawrence isn't. They don't have a running game that's unstoppable. While ETN's very good, does a lot of his work out of the backfield on the low passes, almost like an Austin Eckler. So they're very good in a lot of different areas, which I think takes away from the public's perception of who they are. Thoughts on this, Tom? Oh, first, give me give me a quick um, quick synopsis. Are they are they doing anything at the deadline? Or are we going forward with what we have? I think they're going forward. They don't have any giant holes to fill. Uh, you look at who's going to be traded. A couple of defensive linemen are out there, and a couple of wide receivers. I don't think that they're going to go out there and make a stab at a wide receiver. I think that they like the depth that they have. Uh, they don't really need, you know, something that I think that they might want to go pursue would be a backup running back, but that's not going to make any headlines or waves. So the Jags are now going to take it a bye week for week number nine. Is this, in this instance, I know we talked about stupid buys week three or week four, but is this instance, in your opinion, a bad time for the Jags to take a buy off a five-game winning streak, momentum? I know they do get the Niners at home in week two. 10 and they get the Titans right after that at home in week 11 but the way they're playing it almost seems to me like inopportune time to have the bye no I disagree with you normally 99% of the time Tim I'm agreeing in that spot because they're rolling and everything else but Tim this team just spent two weeks in London came home for one game and then went on the road for two weeks on the Saints and Steelers they got to be exhausted I mean they just have to be I know what you're saying you don't want to break up the streak. The, the winning streak looks good and everything's rolling. I completely understand that. But this you forget the double London trip, come home for a week, and then two games on the road. They need a break. Nope, good point. Good point. I believe the Niners are off too, so there will be no um, – that should be a good game in week number 10, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. You think that the Niners are coming back, you know, in a spot where, okay – got the bye week here we go 100% healthy and you got Jacksonville standing in front of you playing like you said the best football right now in the, in the league all right Tom as we cater on out of the first hour the the, the update for Tuesday Tommy what's what's going on in your neck of the woods for that grand old trick-or-treating Halloween night oh we got uh, the new thing is the trunk or treating but well, we're not doing the trunk or treating. We we do old traditional walk around the neighborhood. You know, our neighborhood is a, um, we go right to my mom's house, which is less than a mile away. And we go, we go and walk the neighborhood and it's great. Everybody's out there. Everybody is ready to go. It, it feels like you're back into the eighties for a, a small glimpse there. Um, at night, McDonald's always, I don't like McDonald's. My daughter loves it. Uh, McDonald's always gives away either a free fry or a free ice cream. So hit up McDonald's at night also. By the way, McDonald's, if you'd like to be a sponsor, we are open for communication. Yes. But, uh, yes. but yeah, it's, you know, we do the traditional thing. I know everybody likes to trunk or treats and stuff. With the neighborhood we live at, it's back to the 80s. We walk it. We walk all day. We go up and down, and we uh, 
we collect as much candy as, as humanly possible. What about you, Tim? Yeah, same same situation. Uh, the Aiden now is seventeen, so he doesn't go. Um, so it's like, eggs and shaving cream for him. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Last year he tagged along. He might tag along again this year. Cam, you know, Cam obviously enjoys it, and we go to neighborhoods where we know that the tradition is still there. Kind of like you said, all the houses pass out candy and they have fun. I mean, there's even quote unquote adult gifts or adult goodies for for the the grown-ups tom you know some some houses take care of the adults with beverages or or what what say you but that's what we do my own neighborhood it's not like that it's for it's pretty sad they're all uptight and i guess uh penny pinch i don't even know what to describe it with like people to turn their lights off and they don't answer the door it's crazy so we just decided to take it somewhere else and it's better for cam to experience that because like you said i know you and i in the 80s we ran the streets, man, collecting candy, and uh, that's the way it should be. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. My my house, you know, everybody on my block doesn't really do much, but that's because I don't really have any neighbors. I have one neighbor. My house is on, you know, a pretty decent-sized lot, nice piece of property. So there's nobody, like, around. We drive less than a mile away to my mom's, and that that's where it is. It's weird that it's the same thing. Angel, take us on out of here as we wrap up hour number one. In hour two, more NFL football. Look ahead to week number nine. Also, look at the Monday Nighter Raiders, your Las Vegas Raiders at Detroit. We'll break that down for you. And we'll talk some World Series in hour two as well. It's Heat Wave Sports. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Fox Sports Radio. Are you ready? Now back to Heatway Sports. Final hours, we start a new work week and move into the month of November come Wednesday. Tim Mugglesby, Tom Barton, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. If you want to join us tonight at any time, you can call the Heatwave Hotline. Angel will take care of that. 876 1340 or over on the X at Tom Martin Sports at HW Sports as well. And let me talk to you about TomBartonSports.com. Tommy, we are in the Westgate contest this year again. We are 2-2, two and two, and we have the Lions tomorrow night to try to get a plus week. How about Tom Barton Sports, and how about the Westgate? Yeah, listen, uh, the Westgate contest could be doing better, um, but it's not. we're not dead, right? I mean... We're sitting there, a knock on wood, <laughs> right? We uh, have basically been over 500 the entire year. You know, two and three, three and two, four and one, you know, two and three, four and one. All right? I mean, we're, we're sitting there right there for the breakout. We haven't had a five and oh, haven't had an oh and five, luckily, right? Haven't had a one and four, luckily. So we're right there. As far as TomBartonSports.com, I mean, I've, I've been just on fire. 17 and 9 this year, guys, uh, with a play pending for tomorrow night at TomBartonSports.com. That's in the NFL. 17 and 9. I just came off of a 3 and 1 college football weekend as well. And you start to look at how my years have gone over the past 13 years I've been doing this. Usually I start off a little slow in the NFL. Middle of the season, I start to build momentum. And then the end of the season, I'm just nearly unbeatable. This year, I started off 
pretty decent in the NFL. 17 and 9 is great. Now I'm hitting my stride here, and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, this could be one of those epic years, and it's turning into one of those epic years. You guys get everything, including college basketball, which I've already been talking to Rob, Tim. I've already been texting back and forth for about two weeks what games I like on opening night, what I'm looking for. I can't wait for college basketball. It's the easiest, easiest sport to make money on. Um, We have college basketball. You're going to get NBA. You're going to get the NHL, where in the NHL, uh, my only loss this year came in overtime. This is what I'm giving you at TomBartonSports.com. You sign up with me. You get every play in every sport that I give out. It's usually one or two plays a day on the weekends, three or four. Every single thing for one price. There's no sales calls. There's no commission. There's no upgrades. There's no hidden fees. Nothing. Go check it out. It's TomBartonSports.com. You want to just try me out? Just try me out. For three days, it's 25 bucks. You guys, try me out for the weekend. You're going to get like 10 plays for $25 and see if you like me. If you like me, continue. If you don't, goodbye. It's been nice knowing you, and that's fine. And that's the way that I do business, guys. It's TomBartonSports.com. I don't think people truly understand how hard it is to pick five games. Because if you really look at Tom Barton Sports, you're not releasing all five games as selections, right? No Maybe two or three. Maybe two or three at the most. So I've counted, Tommy, I've counted um, for sure three games this year, including the Baltimore one today, where we got backdoored in the final minutes. Final minute. Three games, so and that's quite a difference in a contest like this. Three wins more makes a dramatic difference when you're talking about overall standings. Well, yeah, and I think with the contest, what makes it difficult about the contest, but one of the arguments that I've had for a long time is I would say, I, I, look, I'm not a closing line value guy, and I'm not somebody that that's strictly on the number. But I would say for most of this business, People understand how important that key number is and getting the best number. You don't get a choice, right? You have to pick your game. Uh, you know, uh, the lines come out on Wednesday. So, for example, the Cincinnati game. Look, that game went up to five and a half. It came back down to three and a half. That was all over the place. Now, it didn't matter. I took Cincinnati anyway. Didn't matter what the spread was, but that was all over the place. Imagine you would have got that at three and a half. Um, you know, through the Westgate, but the real line was five and a half, which you could add on Saturday, and they win by, well, they lose by four. I mean, these things do happen. So your Ravens team, which we were talking about, uh, they opened up at seven. Hmm. You could have gotten them at seven. They went off today at 10, 10 and a half in some spots. There's a big variance there. That, I think, is the key with the Westgate competition from being a Somebody that wins the Westgate competition, it doesn't matter how well you do it. Somebody that wins it, it's good. It's for fun. It's great. Do not take any handicapper in the world serious that is pounding their chest going, you should listen to what I say because I won the Westgate contest. Because we all know it's for fun. The lines are locked in. It doesn't take handicapping skill as much as anything else. Dallas Cowboys are 3-0. and on their home field, Tom. They've also covered all three of those games convincingly. 43-20, they beat the Rams 5-2. and two. Prescott, four TDs. Uh, Lamb had a big day as well, and they just boat raced the L.A. Rams from start to finish in this one. Yeah, you said to me, they get everybody back and they, you know, they can't win. Well, they didn't get anybody back on defense, Tim, <laughs> right? <laughs> they really didn't. 
Uh, Cooper Cup, though, was just non-existent today. Puka tried to have a decent game. I know Atwell scored a touchdown. Matthew Stafford left the game twice for two different injuries. It was just a bad game for the Rams. And the Rams are outclassed. I mean, I think we know what the Rams are at this point. They can get red hot. They can scare some teams. They can win some games that they're supposed to win. But you're going up against a hot team like this, yeah, you're you're going to be in a lot of trouble. The Rams' defense is just a sieve. Eagles move to 7-1 and one with a 38-31 win in Washington, a game where we saw 35 points. Tommy scored in the fourth quarter by both teams. 17-17, heading into the fourth, and then it was score for score, it seemed like, and the Eagles come out with a seven-point win, and they retain a, a – uh, at 7-1, and one. so now they're a two-game lead over Dallas there in the East. The Eagles are the most boring and, and most lethargic 7-1 and one team I've ever seen. They still don't have a good win on their record. They just, they just don't. They beat the Patriots. They barely beat the Vikings, the Bucks, the Commanders, the Rams, the Jets. They lost to the, the Washington again. And, and their one sole win that you could argue is the Dolphins game which it's been all over Twitter and all over social media, how ridiculous the refs were in in that game. I mean, the Eagles have not put together a complete game, but they get the win here. Washington is not a team that you should be feared. Sam Howell threw for nearly 400 yards. It shows the problems of the Eagles as much as, hey, they are 7-1. They're not an infallible 7-1. Can we possibly foreshadow to January, Tom, in a – NFC Divisional game, Seattle at Philadelphia, and the Seahawks beat them. Yeah, I can. I'll tell you what. Things are going to get tough for the Eagles suddenly. I'm ripping apart their schedule, telling you they don't have an impressive win. They have the cow in the next um, five weeks, okay, because they have a bye week. So the next six weeks, but one of them is a bye week. They have to take on the Cowboys twice, go to Arrowhead, take on Josh Allen, and take on the Niners. They have five games in a row here with a bye week in between, but five games in a row, but they can legitimately go 0-5. If they turn around and they go 5-0, I, I mean, shut me up. I can't say anything. If they go 4-1, shut me up. I can't say anything. If they go 3-2, and two, it's a good stretch. But, Tim, there's a legitimate shot that they're 2-3. and three. There's a legitimate shot they're 1-4. There's a legitimate shot they're 0-5 here. Oh, and Which then after really... that, oh, by the way, after that, let's let's have it even add on after that, because you just mentioned it, the Seahawks after that. So the next six games are Cowboys at Arrowhead, Bills, Niners, at Dallas, at Seattle. Yeah. I could see them going 0-6. Your initial thoughts on next week's game, it'll be Dallas and Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, the Eagles are a field goal favorite. I'm still alive in one of my survivor pools here, Tim. Um, and the Eagles are seemingly like the, the team that you want to go out there and bet, and I won't do it. I think they win. They're at home. I, I think you have to go with the Eagles. Dallas is tough. Dallas is better than people give them credit for. I know Pollard hasn't lived up to their expectations. I know that the Cowboys' defense isn't as good as we thought they were. This is a coin flip game to me. Jet fans running around New York City, Tom. Bragging about a three-game winning streak. They get a 13-10. Yes, a 13-10 win over their brethren, the New York Giants. Today, 
in overtime to move to four and three on the year. How atrocious of a game was this, man? And I had to watch it because I had the Jets minus three for their free picks contest. Uh, yeah, I had the Jets minus the three. I mean, I don't even know what to make about this team. I just don't. You have one thing that works well. Early on in the game, Brees Hall got free, ran for a touchdown, and I said, okay, 7 nothing Jets. The Giants stink. They're not going to score. The Jets' defense is fantastic. Just go to Brees Hall all day long, right? I mean, it's just going to be the Brees Hall show. Let's go to Brees all day long, run it all day, shove it down their throat, no problem. Brees Hall carried the ball 12 times today. Brees Hall ran the ball 12 times, Tim. I, I, I don't understand how that game plan comes into play. He's the. It was a close game, obviously. He's the only offensive weapon that you have that you feel comfortable with, yet he ran the ball just 12 times. You had Zach Wilson throwing the ball 36 times. He went back to the pass 36 times on a defense that can't stop the run in the rain in a one-score game the entire time. I don't understand Robert Sal at all. And look, for the argument's sake, Brees Hall only had 17 yards on those 12 carries. He couldn't get any running room. That's because it was very sporadic carries. He did have 76 yards on nine targets. A lot of those Zach Wilson plays were dump-offs. I understand that. I still think you got to commit to the run more than that. It was a weird game. It was a weird played game. The Jets probably shouldn't have won because they shouldn't have got the spike down. It was a third-string quarterback. From Syracuse, Tommy DiVincenzo coming into the game late. Yeah, I said it. I mean, it was just a weird, strange, ugly uh, game that ended in a push, and I and, and I felt dirty about the push. Jets three in a row. Home next Monday night for Monday Night Football as Justin Herbert and the Chargers come to town. The uh, Chargers, two-and-a-half-point favorite opening line. I think I can argue that these are the two most unpredictable teams in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You, you know, Tim, if you go out there and you said Herbert found it, right? Throwing it all over. Eckler looks good. They wound up going crazy and they win 31-10. Does the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. I think you're going, yeah, that makes sense. If you also said, well, Chargers were the Chargers. They kind of imploded on themselves. Jets played good defense. Jets wound up winning. You know, found a little offense. Priest Hall went crazy because everybody runs on, on the Chargers, and they won 31-10. You're going, yeah, I can see that. I mean, they are totally unpredictable teams. Saints moved 500 on the year, 38-27 road win at Indianapolis. Carr, 310 yards, two touchdowns in the win for New Orleans. Tom, is a – that's – again, we talk about that division. You know, and you look at the teams in there in Tampa and uh, Tampa – Carolina, so the division the Saints should win. It looks like they're on the right path, but again, you talk about teams that are unpredictable. New Orleans is like that as well. Yeah, they are. I mean, we knew that the Saints were going to have a slew of bad quarterbacks. Titans, Panthers, Packers, Bucks, Patriots, Texans. Until they got to Trevor Lawrence, it was just bad quarterback play. Took on Gardner Minshew. Bad quarterback. They have bad quarterbacking next week against the Bears. They go back to the Vikings, probably bad quarterback play. Then you get Desmond Ritter, bad quarterback play. I mean, their entire season was, can you beat bad quarterbacks? And they're 4-4. Four and four. Hmm. I think they're a little disappointed in their season. Today was almost a must-win for them, though. They almost had to get this win. I know it was a tough road game. Indy is a beatable team, but they could come up and win. You had to stop the two-game losing streak, 
And I think that the Saints are back in a position where they still feel like this is their division to lose. And they're right there now. They are tied atop their division. As pathetic as that is at 4-4, four and four, this is what we knew about the South. Only one team was going to win. Only one team was going to go to the playoffs from this division. And it was probably going to be a team that won maybe nine games. Well, the Saints are proving all of that this year. They are right there with the Falcons. But the Saints can't sit there. And couldn't sit there and lose this game today. They had to go out there and win. And you have to give credit where credit is due. They wanted an offensive showdown where they've been winning with defense all year long. Can you lay the six next week with the Saints and the Bears? I can't do it unless I know Justin Fields is back. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who the starting quarterback is for the, for the Chicago Bears, so I can't do that. Um, I, I also know that the Bears lost a middle linebacker today. They have no depth. Can't do that. I think that the Bears very well might be in on one of these two defensive linemen in either Sweat or, um, or, or Chase Young from Washington. I can't make this bet today because I think the Bears are going to be a little active. I'm sure this one will be quick, Tommy, and it's unfortunate it had to be played, but Carolina Panthers get their first win of the year on a walk-off field goal, 15-13. They take out Houston. I'm a little upset in C.J. Stroud. I thought he was going to have a better game. I started to buy into him. Uh, Panthers defense suddenly, after giving up 42 points in back-to-back weeks and 37 the week before that, suddenly they look good against Texans. Look, I think the Texans are probably a little overblown. People got behind C.J. Stroud. Next week against the Colts, I think it's more of the same. Someone's got to win. Vikings move to 500, 24-10 win in Lambeau. Nice, solid victory for Minnesota. The problem is, Tommy, that Kirk Cousins looks like he's out for the year. Yeah, season's over in Minnesota. Um, Cousins was playing at an MVP level. And I I hear, well, they could go get Ryan Tannehill. Maybe Case Keenum comes back. You don't have Justin Jefferson. You don't have Kirk Cousins. Their defense is still having issues. The season's over for the Vikings, guys. They're not making the playoffs. I didn't think they would. Now, on the plus side, their schedule's favorable. Falcons, Saints, Broncos, Bears are the next four. Then they get their bye week. But they do have to play the Bengals and the Lions twice and Packers for their last four. So, I mean, I'm saying the season's over, meaning they're not doing anything. Could they squeak into a playoff game? Maybe. I, I don't know. Tim, do you think they go get your guy Case Keenum? Or maybe is there a Ryan Tannehill? Or do they <laughs> they kind of just try to stay internally? I, I mean, what are your options internally? Sean Mannion? Is, is that their backup right now? I, I mean, I think that's what we're looking at. Yeah. It's ugly. You know someone's going to bring up Brady, by the way. Yeah, of course, of course. It, it is, I'll tell you this, though. It is nice that we don't have to hear Packer fans chomping at their, running their uh, mouths, slapping their gums about how good the Packers are, because this, this is what we've been waiting years for, Tom, to see this. Tell you what, this is when the Raiders go get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. Send him to the Minnesota? Raiders should go... Should go get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, put put him in Minnesota. Minnesota makes a, a bid for a playoff. The Raiders let Brian Hoyer and Aiden O'Connell finish out the season. Yeah. yeah. And in Tennessee, Tom, the Will Levis era looks like it may have begun. Four touchdown passes today in spot of an injured Ryan Tannehill. 
238 yards for the second-round pick out of Kentucky. Derrick Henry had 100 yards rushing. Hopkins had a big game. Titans 28-23 win over Atlanta. You know, you know what I said in the preseason. I like Will Levis. I thought he was going to take over the job. Not like this. I just thought he was going to win it outright. I wasn't a Malik Willis fan. I wasn't a Ryan Tannehill fan. I was a Will Levis fan. I Even I didn't see something like this happening. I, I mean, this was just incredible to watch. He's got such a touch on the ball, and the team followed him. Look, they're still three and four, right? And it was only the Falcons, so let's calm down here. <laughs> you know, but the Titans do a couple of things well. And everyone's talking about trading, trading Derrick Henry, trading DeAndre Hopkins. Let's go. Let's trade everybody. I don't think the Titans think that they can't make a playoff run here. They're three and four. They have kind of just found their quarterback. They still have Henry. They still have a good run defense. They they still have plenty of winnable games in front of them. They got the Texans twice. They got the Jaguars twice. They have the Panthers. They have the Colts. I mean, they have winnable games. I don't think the Titans are going to sell because I don't think that the Titans think that they're out of it. If they lose, if they lost today's game, DeAndre Hopkins is out of town. I think they're looking at this and they're going, maybe Will Levis can bring us to a playoff. They're only one game out of a playoff spot, and like you said, the schedule is kind of favorable for them. They have four home games left where they've they've won three of the four they played, and and you know they got to get a road win here soon. They haven't won on the road this year at all. It's not even about chasing Jacksonville as much as it is just getting into the wild card, right, Tom? Because then anything can happen. And um, is this this is it, right? You can't go back to Tannehill at this point, right? No, nah, no way. No, nah, not at all. And, and you look at you look at the Titans here, Tim. I think they're better than the Texans, Colts, Chargers, Raiders, Broncos. I think that they are on par with the Browns. I think they are better than the Patriots, better than the Jets. I mean, that makes them a playoff team, doesn't it? Yeah. How about next week? Thursday night, Tennessee at Pittsburgh, Tom. Steelers, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah, it's funny because I didn't say Pittsburgh, and, and I went back and I almost stopped myself, and I said, maybe I should say it, and I go, no, no, no. They're playing on Thursday. I'll know if they're better than them. I think it's a tough road game uh, to go into Pittsburgh with a young quarterback like this. Will Levis has everything going for him now. Now he's got to go up against a big-time defense. T.J. Watt coming off the corner, uh, a Mike Tomlin coach team. But we don't know what's going on in Pittsburgh. Is it going to be Pickett? Is it going to be Trubinsky? Deontay Johnson left the game with an injury. The Steelers suddenly can't run the ball at all. Jalen Warren led the way today, and he didn't look good. It's a winnable game for the Titans. I'm surprised that the line is four. Let's take a look at some other matchups next week. Get your thoughts on is there any value here? Minnesota, no cousins against Atlanta. Atlanta at home, four-point favorite. I mean, Desmond Ritter doesn't lose at home, but Desmond Ritter probably won't be under center. It looks like he's going to be Taylor Heineke. Stay away from this game. I, I, I lean Atlanta because I don't know what Minnesota is going to bring to the table. They did find their first rushing touchdown today for the first time all year. Arizona will head to Cleveland to play the Browns. Josh Dobbs officially announced the Heat as the nine, Week 9 starter, so it looks like Kyler Murray is Week 10 at the earliest. And the Browns, who lost to Seattle on the road at the tail end of that game, a seven-point favorite at home. Tim? Two things. Number one, this line is up to eight and a half at DraftKings. Eight and a half. And my question is, what the hell do the Browns do to make it them an eight and a half point favorite? I think the Browns win the game. 
But how how are we laying eight and a half points with what the Browns' offensive brought to the table or the lack thereof? Rams at Packers at Lambeau. Lambeau, uh, I see Packers minus two and a half. Packers can't score. Rams can score, but the Rams can't stop anybody. The Packers can stop them. It'll be a good good matchup to see Jair Alexander up against. I guess he'll be matching up with Puka, which means Cooper Cup could go absolutely crazy. This all depends on Stafford. If Stafford is healthy, which he didn't look healthy, Stafford is healthy, I think the Rams win this game, even in Green Bay. Lambeau is not the Lambeau that it used to be when you have Jordan Love running the ship. Two teams coming off losses. Tampa Bay at Houston, Texans two and a half. Got to go with the Bucks. The Bucks have the best defense inside the 20-yard line in the entire NFL. They are for real defensively. And the Texans, they just struggled against a defense, like I said, that gave up 42 points in back-to-back games and 37 or more points in three of the four. You got to go with the road team and the Bucks getting some points here. Two more teams coming off losses. Washington at New England. Patriots two and a half. I got to see the moves that are going to be made here. Because Washington could be decimated by the time this game goes off. And the Patriots could also. I mean, you said it. Maybe the Patriots are in sell mode. This is a trade deadline game. You can't even, I can't even comment on it until I see what's going to happen on Tuesday. Common theme here with the spread. Two and a half as well. Colts at Carolina. Panthers got their first win today. You know, I, I just think the Panthers' defense is bad. They're banged up. They're hurting. Can the Colts take advantage? I like what I see in Jonathan Taylor. I like this kid Downs. It is a road game. I'm leaning the Colts in this spot, Tim. And that'll take us to tomorrow night, Tom. Monday night football run. ESPN, the Raiders at the Lions. 5.15 scheduled West Coast kickoff time. Detroit, 7.5 point favorite. 46.5 the total over at Ford Field. And Tommy, when you look at... What's at stake here? The Lions can go two full games up on Minnesota in the north as it doesn't appear that the Packers or the Bears are going to catch either one of those. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. It doesn't appear the Packers or the Bears are going to catch the Lions in the NFC North. So another win would really pad that lead towards an NFC North title. The Raiders, 3-4. and four. I don't think – you know, we talked earlier about KC and the problems there. I don't think they catch KC as well. But now we're talking about – the future, a Raider loss puts him at 3-5. And, five. and uh, the continuation of the Josh McDaniels era, which will be coming to a close pretty soon, I think. Well, the Raiders haven't scored more than 21 points all year long, okay? They, they're still doing well, but they haven't scored more than 21 points all year long. So the question is, do you think that Detroit can score more than 21 points? Look, they are missing Montgomery. Uh, St. Brown might be out. They still have, in my opinion, a top five offensive line in the league. I might argue they have the best offensive line in the league. They also sit back and, and they do things that just will frustrate the Raiders. I could go into it for a half hour about how their uh, a guy like Laporta gets open, things that the Raiders just will not cover well. But all I have to tell you is this. Look, at home against the Seahawks, they put up 31 in a loss, put up 20 against the Falcons, 42 against the Panthers. Those are their home games. Jared Goff at home is simply fantastic. Jared Goff at home throws two or more touchdown passes almost every game. I think it's like 12 in the last 13 games somewhere like that at Ford Field. So the question is, can the Raiders score more than 21 points? Because the Raiders aren't winning this game scoring 21 or less. 
My answer is I haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen this happen. The Lions lost this year when they lost to Seattle in overtime and the Raiders, uh, Ravens just somehow or another put up 38. They have two losses this year, the Lions. 37 and 38 points were put up against them. Do we believe the Raiders could score 37 or 38 points? Maybe in two games. So I don't think it's going to be a contest. I think the Lions win this one pretty pretty handedly. There's your look at week eight of the NFL. Look ahead to week nine. We're going to take our last time out, and we'll finish off the weekend edition of Heat Wave Sports with some Major League Baseball World Series Game 3 tomorrow. We'll look at it and look at the series as it progresses throughout the week here on Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Close things out tonight with some Major League Baseball talk here on Heat Wave Sports. Tim Unglesby, Tommy Barton, back at it next Sunday night for Week 9. Overreaction Sunday, possibly could have a World Series champion by then. So just make sure you tune in for the Sunday night edition of Heat Wave Sports as VGK bumps us again for another Saturday. Tom, and um, I guess before we start looking at the series, I wanted to just get a quick thought from you. And I thought this baseball season was wonderful. I enjoyed it, as I do every baseball season. I generally enjoy the postseason as well. And then we saw all the top dogs go down early in the playoffs. And I guess there's always two ways that you can look at things, right, Tom? There's find the positives in it, find the negatives in it. I'll, I'll concentrate on the negatives I know we've talked about this uh, not on air, but off about the, the the teams that got the buys being eliminated early, the exception of the Astros and how that plays into baseball and the extra wild card team, blah, blah, blah. How are you with the playoffs this year? Are you, are you okay with what we ended up with, or do you feel like there's something missing here? Nah, not at all. Um, I'm not upset because they're low market teams or whatever you want to say. I'm not upset about that. I actually like the Arizona angle. Uh, I think they're young, exciting. Corbin Carroll is a face of baseball. Zach Gallen, I like the Merrill Kelly story. story. I like it all. But I do have a problem with the just quick outs. I'm somebody, and I've mentioned this many, many, many times over the years. I like the best against the best. Mm -hmm. I want to see the best against the best. I'm not a Cinderella guy. I like the best. If I'm going to devote in football, I'm going to devote six months of my life. In baseball, if I'm going to devote 162 game schedule. In basketball, hockey, I'm going to devote 80 some odd games. I mean, if I'm going to give that much time, I don't want flukes. I don't think that there's a single baseball fan out there that will tell you we're seeing the best against the best. Now, it doesn't have to be the best team against the best team uh, record-wise. Sometimes you go, well, that team got really hot and they've been playing the best. Oh, that's okay. Neither one of these teams were the best team in the league. Neither one of these teams were the best team in their division. Neither one of these teams were playing the best baseball coming into the playoffs. None of that is true. So I do have a problem with it. I have a problem with the fact that I think that the New York Yankees had just a miserable year, right? I I, I think it's a, a year where 
for me as a Yankee fan, and this is, I know it's the Yankees, but for me as a Yankee fan, I look at the New York Yankees and I go, it's such a bad year that they should fire everyone. Fire the general manager, fire the head coach, fire everyone. Fire everybody. This is a miserable year. The Yankees won 82 games. The Arizona Diamondbacks are tied 1-1 in the World Series. They won 84 games. You know, that bothers me. And you could tell me, well, it's fun because it's, uh, you know, a team that comes out of nowhere. To... We have two teams that didn't win their division. You know, two teams that combined. You you look at what they would have been in any other. There's, you look at the, uh, the Diamondbacks, 84 wins. Barely beat out the Reds. You look at a, a ball that was hit in Chicago in Wrigley. If a, if that was not misplayed, horribly misplayed, by the way, by Seiya Suzuki, Diamondbacks don't make the playoffs. Okay? If the Diamondbacks were in the Yankees division, they, they would have finished 18 games out of first place. These things bother me. And I like Arizona. I, I actually think Arizona is the better story. Mm-hmm. Texas came into the season... They bought their championship. We know that. We're not talking about the Yankees buying championships in the 90s. Uh, forget about this. Texas bought their championship. Okay? Texas had a bad bullpen. Texas imploded. But Texas got out to such a good start early that they were able to kind of hang on. They limped to the finish line. They looked awful doing so, limping to the finish line. They didn't win their division. They were a play, literally, another team, a play away from sitting back and going home, it's not fun. I mean, it's not fun to watch a team just crumble in front of your face, and now they're sitting here in the World Series? But I didn't like the whole setup. I mean, I didn't like... I, I, I don't. I didn't need Atlanta, you know, against Baltimore. I didn't need that. But I needed some semblance of, give me somebody playing well. Give me a team that was putting it together at the right time. Give me a, a dominant pitching performance. Give me the Milwaukee Brewers because all of a sudden Woodruff and Burns and Peralta just got red hot. I'm okay with that, you know? Give me a, a, a spot where suddenly Minnesota, just with uh, with their pitching situation of Sonny Gray and Lopez, just were unhittable. I'm okay with that. What can you say about Arizona? When Arizona raises the trophy, what are we going to say about that? What are we saying about Texas? Well, what do you say about their year? I mean, we lived through it. Don't change the narrative. Texas had a bad year at the end of the year. Their fans thought that they were, they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. They were basically going home. They were the worst bullpen in baseball. Oh, they, they, they turned it up in the playoffs. Okay, that's nice. It's still not the best against the best. And it's the same thing with Arizona. Good story. Corbin Cowell's fun. Gallon's great. Merrill Kelly, good story. Their bullpen was an absolute disaster. They limped into the playoffs. They they won 84 games, which is pathetic. What is the narrative going to be? The narrative is Bud Selig hates baseball and tried to ruin it years ago, and we're suffering now. Yeah. The narrative is you play 162 games to make the playoffs, right? But if you have an extension of the playoffs where teams with 84 wins are qualifying, it I, I see how they want to spin it. Oh, it's postseason. Anything can happen. I, yeah, obviously. But do you think, Tom, that if if they were best of seven series, Baltimore, Texas, Atlanta, Philly, uh, Arizona, L.A., would there be a different outcome 
or was this just the way it was going to go? Because, look, Dodgers pitching staff was not what it was at the beginning of this, most of the season, right? That's, that's the bottom line there. Uh, the Braves, well, they, you know, we, we both thought Philadelphia was better than what the, the record showed, and that's a postseason team that's built for the postseason. And Baltimore, I, I don't really have an excuse for what happened there. They're just young. So if they were best of seven series games, it would have changed the outcomes. Absolutely. 100%. I don't know how a league that has a 162-game schedule can shorten playoff series. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why are we shortening them? Go back, and I'm going to be old man yells at the cloud here, but go back. Originally, when the World Series was out there, it was a nine-game series. Okay, then they moved it down to seven. Now we're sitting here with three-game series, five-game series. It doesn't make any sense to me. Look, you want to sit back and you want to give the owners their, their, their props. You want to give, well, we can't go into November. Okay. There's ways around this, Tim. You could start a week early. I think they should go back to 156-game schedule. Look, nobody plays 162 anymore anyway, right? Go back to 156-game schedule. You chop off six days there. You can make the first round five games if you really, really still need to. But after that, it's got to be seven. Yeah, it, it should be seven games throughout. That's what it was. That's what it needs to be. What you're doing in Major League Baseball is you're changing the game itself. You're fundamentally changing what baseball is. I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. We are, are trained to be a situation where, okay, a pitcher pitches every five games. You have a long series. You have a long season. You have a, It's a marathon, not a sprint. And then all of a sudden, you've been playing 162 games as a marathon, not a sprint. And you get into the playoffs, it's like, okay, sprint away. Yeah, now, now right. we're sprinting. It doesn't make sense. I mean, and for comparison, since it's a football show, for comparison's sake, guys, that would honestly, what what this would be, would be if the NFL decided that the first two rounds of the playoffs before the Super Bowl were a one-quarter game. We're going to play a quarter. We'll see you at the, end of the, at the end of 15 minutes who's the better team. Yeah. One more quick note before we look at the series itself. Dusty Baker retired, right, Tom? And, and here's what I have to say about that. Goodbye. Good riddance. I felt Dusty Baker's probably one of the most overrated managers ever to to place up a uniform and, and, and shoes and be out on the baseball field. Uh, he got lucky last year in winning a World Series, his only one. He He's blown. The, the Angel one with Barry Bonds is the most notable in my mind of him blowing. Bruce Bochy came in and won three after that. I felt like... For as much as he's a player's manager, Tom, very overrated, and I felt his lasting last image in Major League Baseball in my mind is him blowing Game 7 of the ALCS. First of all, no team should ever lose four games at home in a seven-game series. That's ridiculous. Just as ridiculous as Texas lost every game at home in that series as well. But this is about Dusty Baker. He loses all four games at home, and in Game 7... A elimination game to go to the World Series. He chooses to start Javier in a spot that, that kid has never been in before, Tom. The pressure, the stress. I don't care if you have uh, balls of steel. You've never been in that situation before. And he had a Hall of Famer sitting on a bench. 
in Justin Verlander. And I know, Tom, I know it was three days rest, but you can't tell me that Verlander's never done that before. And after the way that he pitched in game uh, five, that he didn't want another chance to go out there and redeem himself. And if he would have got shellacked, then so what? At least you went out with the Hall of Famer. He went with the guy that is having a decent uh, postseason. He got lit up. The series is over. They never had a chance after that first inning. I blame Dusty Baker for that. So, Astro fans, you should be tipping your hat to Dusty and saying good riddance because he cost you this year, in my opinion. I couldn't. I can't believe you're agreeing with, with my opinion as well. I, I'm agreeing with yours. Yeah, I, I never saw the allure of Dusty Baker, ever. Um, I think he was a nice guy, a lot of flash, a lot of, uh, you know, quotable lines, nice guy, guy you want to get an interview with. The wristbands, the toothpick, the cool demeanor—it didn't show up strategically on the on the field at all. Um, never bothered me because he wasn't my manager, but it would have bothered me if he was. How about this series, Tom? Six, uh, one-one, game three tomorrow night in Phoenix. It'll be Max Scherzer who's had a, a rough postseason against rookie Brandon Fat. Who again, we could, we could have an hour-long discussion on Arizona. And why this guy has been pitching in the postseason, but it's it's the way that the roster's set up. This is what they have, right? Uh, game one, we saw Texas use two home runs to force an extra inning game, and then win it in the extras. And then in game two, Arizona just dominated and beat up Jordan Montgomery. So this one's all knotted up at one going into tomorrow night's game. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the natural reaction is that you have to go Scherzer here over the rookie. Uh, Brandon Fat has looked good at times. He's looked hittable at times. Gives up the long ball. Um, I, I think it's going to be a big stage for him. I feel more comfortable with Scherzer. And that being said, I I do believe the one of the reasons I don't like this World Series is because both of these bullpens are susceptible to blowups, and I don't think that Brandon Fat or uh, Max Scherzer are going to be around to be the determining factor. I think they both go five innings. I think that it's a five-inning game for both of them. I think they both pitch relatively well. The game will be within shooting distance. So it's a bullpen game for me. Let me be the old man yelling at the sky now, Tom. When I look at probables, you can kind of generally, and I don't want to go back 30 years, but I'm going to. I'll even go back 20 years. At the start of a series, Tom, you knew who was pitching every game. It was no secret, right? There's no strategy behind it. You knew that Greg Maddox was pitching game one, four, and seven. Justin Verlander, we'll go way more recent. Justin Verlander and Tigers, one, four, and seven, right? Your aces are going one, four, and seven. You had a two. You had a three. Those are, you know, if you decided to stretch it and go game four with a fourth starter, that happens sometimes. They don't even have a probables, Tom, for game uh, four, which is. Tuesday. They don't even know who's pitching those games right now. Unheard of to me. And, and it's not even this series. I mean, you look in the playoffs, it's happened a lot. They, they're like unknown starters. That's crazy to me. And I get it that most of these teams don't have a solid one through three starters, but you got to kind of know who's going here. Is this more of a I don't want them to know who we're having pitching in these games, or is it more of they really don't know what they're going to do, Tom? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, it, it, again, it's another reason why this World Series is a little unappealing. Um, they don't have those dynamic guys. I also believe that we're in a day and age where everyone's trying to outthink the other guy. You know, analytics, 
well, if we give them this, they're going to analyze it. And they're going to, ah, come on. <laughs> you know, come on. You you think Bob Gibson gave a crap if you knew he was pitching the next day? I mean, come on here. No. You got to hit what's thrown, right? It's, it's just the way it is. But... Bob Gibson would have driven to your house, knocked on the door, told you he's pitching the next day, and he's putting one up and in. Yeah, exactly. Do, so do you favor Texas here uh, in that if it – if it's bullpen specific, right? And, and this is where I think kind of Texas at the deadline, if you paid attention, you saw them picking up basically guys that could start. So you, you have a guy like John Gray, Tommy, who was a starter all year until he got hurt. He's in the pen. He, he came in, in fact, in the last series against Houston and pitched some innings that helped them out a lot, maybe to bridge that gap. And I, I mean, John Gray's great. He'll get you that middle relief spot. But if you got to go to Will Smith and Leclerc in the, in the ninth, it's and, and uh, even Chapman, you've got to put him in there. You never know what's going to happen. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning Arizona here, Tim, strictly because I want chaos. I want Arizona <laughs> to win because I want baseball to go win. An 84 team just won the damn World Series. What are we doing with our lives? And I would love it to be Chapman on the mound to blow it, too, by the way. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. I want Chapman on the mound giving up a bomb to Corbin Carroll to lose the World Series and have forever have to live with that. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? And I got nothing against the Rangers, by the way, at all. I just, uh, since I don't have a dog in the fight, I want the chaos. Yeah. No, Rangers are, look, Rangers are fun to watch, right? They, they, offensively, they... They can hit. There's no doubt about it. And I will say this. They, they went out and picked up some veteran arms to get them to this spot. And in the, in the uh, last year, they picked up Evoldi. This year, of course, at the deadline, they picked up Montgomery. They spent it, smart money. Are you listening, Steve Cohen? Yeah, there you go. Smart money. Well, let's see what happens tomorrow night in Game 3. Maxi Scherzer for the Rangers. Brandon Fat for the D-back series tied at 1. I say, Tom, this, you like the you like the chaos. Let's go. Let's go a complete seven, and a walk off for the. Well, it wouldn't be a walk off. What it is to me in Texas. So, top of the ninth, guy like Corbin Carroll hits a two run homer to put him up, and then they they win it in the ninth. How about that? I love it. Let's make it against Chapman. Yeah. <laughs> I want him to suffer. Only thing better would be if Jose. Uh, Urias was a starting pitcher for the for the Texas Rangers, and that one he got bombed in the first inning. That would, that would be perfect, wouldn't it? Ah, oh, yes, yes. Smiles across the board to anybody that has a soul. <laughs> I think we've we've hit that time, Tom. Talk about for us as we get on out of here. Talk about uh, Tom Barton Sports. Talk about podcast, YouTube. You do it all, my friend. Yeah, guys, go check me out. It's TomBartonSports.com. TomBartonSports.com, like I said, 17-9 in the NFL season. I have a Monday night football play up there. Okay, so if you jump on board, you get that Monday night football play. Podcast is Believe in Betting. I actually had Clayton Truder on. He was talking about uh, Boston basketball with the Rick Patino and Gary Williams days. So that was a really good interview if you guys get into the college basketball fever there as well. Go check me out. I can use that. Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. But it's TomBartonSports.com. I want to make you guys money here. If you sign up today, you're going to get all the way until December for one low price. It's TomBartonSports.com. And Tommy, with college basketball, are you doing the football too for the Ivy League? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I've really been getting a lot of uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of ears on the believe in the Ivy League uh, 
at the Harvard Crimson are inside the top 25 in the FCS. There's a couple of guys. Hey, a guy from, I covered last year, uh, Yoshivash, caught a touchdown for the Bengals. So you can learn some stuff on my podcast as well. Make sure you check that out as well. With the college basketball slate started here very, very soon. A lot of money that can be made in the Ivy Leagues, Tommy. Historically, every year, cash is tickets with Ivy League basketball. So check him out over there as well. And until next Sunday, Tom, we'll talk then. Have a good Halloween, everybody. For Mr. Tom Barton, Tim Ugglesby, Angel, Mateo, everybody else at Lotus helping us out. As always, enjoy your sports week. We will talk to you Sunday night at 10 o'clock. For Wave Sports, have a great sports week. Good night. Heart is pacing, everything I want to taste it, I embrace it Gotta have the patience, dedication, never leave a moment waste for chasing greatness I think it's kind of funny that they slept on me Here's a couple things they should know about me No plan B, just a one-way ticket This is what it takes, that's the difference